Welcome to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoon. My name is Helen Mully, and the author joining you in your classroom or wherever you're listening for this episode is the ridiculously smart and totally multi-talented Connie Huck. Welcome to the podcast, Connie. Hello, what a lovely introduction. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me, everyone, in your classrooms. It's a privilege to be here. Oh, you are more than welcome. Now, I've got to say, to me, Connie, you are first and foremost the longest serving female presenter of one of the best TV programmes of all time for children, Blue Peter. But I have to say, at the risk of making both of us feel old, the fact is, while you were presenting your final Blue Peter, in 2008, most of our listeners weren't actually born yet. <laughs> I know, that makes me feel really old. It's so true. It does not seem possible. But of course, you have kept yourself incredibly busy since then, presenting, broadcasting, charity work, screenwriting, little business of getting married and, and having a couple of children. <laughs> and now you've added author to your CV and your first book for children, Cookie and the Most Annoying Boy in the World was published last year, 2019, and I believe it was shortlisted for the Teach Primary Book Awards. Yes, that's right. And I believe you've planned another couple more. But in the meantime, you've co-written another book, which is Fearless Fairy Tales. Yes. Tell me and our listeners, in amongst all the amazing jobs that you've done so far, where do you put writing? How does how does writing rate in amongst all of those super glamorous jobs? Writing is really unique. It's one of the best jobs you can possibly do in the world because you are essentially creating worlds so you can let your imagination run free and worlds that other people can then enter in and dip in with you. But it's all done from the comfort of your own head. I always think reading is so fantastic because it enables people to literally go anywhere and do anything. And um, writing is the same, but you actually get to create the world, the people, the environment. And I've, I've really enjoyed writing all of the books and sometimes wondering where the adventures will go myself, you know, where the story will take me. Um, so yeah, I never forget how lucky I am to be doing something that I love so much. And, you know, once upon a time, I was sat in a classroom, you know, doing spellings and doing English comprehension and so on and so forth. And, you know, I would have never have dreamt that I could have had a book in the shop. So each and every one of you in your classroom today, you know, it, I was exactly where you are and it's so possible. But what is so fantastic about writing books is that you don't have to have special um, equipment to do it. You don't have to, you know, go to a special place to do it. Literally, all you need is a pen and a paper in your head. And in the olden days, you didn't even need a pen and a paper. Storytelling was all by word of mouth. Um, so, it, you know, it's a real privilege to have other people read your stuff. That is so amazing. I mean, you talk brilliantly about the the plus side of, of being an author, the, you know, the, the excitement, the, the ability to create new worlds. It just, it just sounds great. But come on, what, what's the downside? There, there must be a downside. No, no job is perfect. The downside is... If you ever get writer's block, now I've been quite lucky 
in that I haven't had this, but I've spoken to people that have had it before. And, you know, we've all had moments where we've sat down to write something. I'm sure many of you will have been sat in your English lesson before and been set a task of writing something and sometimes you just say, oh, what, what do I write about? Sometimes really, you know, famous and really successful authors literally can't think of what to do next or what to put down. And they try and they try and they screwing up bits of paper or pressing delete or junking things in the waste paper basket. And apparently it's really horrible. Touch wood. Uh, I'm touching some wood here. Um, it, it won't happen to me ever. But, you know, it must be so frustrating doing a job you love and then having this sort of mental block and not being able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So you say it's never happened to you. Have you always written? I mean, when you were sitting in your English class at school, were you then, you know, going off and, and scribbling little little stories or was that something that happened later? Mm, I always sort of had funny ideas for things and I liked the idea of travelling into people's heads. I remember in English at school writing a story that I was I was very proud of at the time and it, it got it got a good grade, it got a, a top mark um, and it was called Train of Thought and it was about all these people just sat in a train carriage. I see what you did there. Yeah, <laughs> and um, it describes all the people and all, what all the people are thinking about each other in this train carriage because obviously you sit opposite strangers on buses and trains and, you know, you don't, you can't judge a book by its cover to use a cliche, but you don't know what's going on in the heads of other people or what they're like until you speak to them and you know them. And um, so it described these people and what they were thinking about each other. And then it dipped into their heads and what they were actually thinking. And the sort of moral of the story was you can't judge a book by its cover because, you know, everyone like, I don't know, the, the granny on the train was the serial killer or whatever, you know, I mean, not that obviously, but, you know, everybody was what you didn't expect. Um, and th that's, th you know, the fun thing, one of the fun things about writing is you can take the reader as well on a journey and you can throw in lots of twists and turns and that's what makes a really good book and a really good um, story you know, you need a, a beginning, a middle and an end. And the more sort of twists and turns and conflicts and problems you can put in, often the more you'll keep a reader gripped, wondering what's going to happen next. Absolutely. And I think that ability to look at somebody else and, and not just wonder what they're thinking, but also just try and actually get in their heads and, and, and imagine what they're thinking and then express what they're thinking is it, I, th I think that's that's the power of, of a really good writer. And then, of course, the other side of writing, I guess, is reading. And I know that everyone listening, you know, will always be being told by their teachers and their parents, oh, reading, pick up books, and, and it's such an amazing thing. Is reading a big part of your life? Has it always been a big part of your life? So funnily enough, I used to be. So probably when I was the age of a lot of the, the people watching today um, and younger as well, I was what we term as a reluctant reader. And I used to think, oh, reading isn't really for me. I thought reading was a chore. And I remember actually reading Ted Hughes' The Iron Man, which we had to read at school. And I remember really, I really disliked that book. And I found it quite um, creepy as well. And I remember quite distinctly, we had to read it in class. And I remember just thinking like, 
reading isn't my thing, I think. It's just not, you know, like some people are into sport and so on and so forth. And then one day, you know, quite a bit of time later, we had to do uh, some free reading in the classroom because it was wet break. And I just picked up this book off the shelf and it was called Super Fudge by Judy Bloom. And I still wasn't really into books that were sort of chapter books. I wanted pictures in my books. You know, I just thought reading is a chore and it's boring. I picked up this book and I started reading it. And the way it was written, I felt I could relate to the character. It spoke to me. And I always call it my gateway book. I devoured that book. And then I just realized that actually, you know, and I still say this today, books are just rectangles on shelves, unless you find the books that are right for you. And there's so many, it's so hard to know what is right for you, which is why librarians are so important and teachers and people that can recommend books. Um, but if people and kids in particular don't find the books that are right for them, they can think that reading isn't for them and reading is for everyone. It's just a matter of finding the books that draw you in, make you want to read. And if you're a reader as a child, then you'll be a reader as an adult. But some kids, if they don't ever get into reading, then it will always remain a chore and like sort of hard work. And, you know, the more you read, the easier it is. And it just flows into your head and you're just turning the pages and pages, especially if you find the books for you. And studies have shown the more children read, you know, the better they do in life, the further they go. And also reading does a really unique thing. It gives you guys, kids, it gives altruism, which is a such an important quality in the adults we become and altruism is caring for other people because you can only want one thing in life and that's to be happy and happiness actually comes from helping each other not helping yourself and it often takes quite a long time for people to learn that so I'm giving you a tip now you know you can think oh, I get happy from having this pair of trainers or whatever um but it's short-lived because there'll always be a newer pair or a better pair. the happiness that your friends and family give you is the ultimate and the happiness from you know helping other people and having that reciprocated and books bring altruism it's so important there you go straight from the horse's mouth and it's it's so true that's definitely my experience well you know what actually it totally in prisons it's compulsory to have libraries yet some schools don't even have libraries today and that's just crazy because you kids you're the future us us adults we're past it we're beyond help but you've got everything to play for and uh, you know the more altruistic if everyone's altruistic the world will only be a brilliant place because everyone will give back to society we'll have no climate change we'll have no poverty no problems if everyone just gives back more than they take from life then you know we're winning gang <laughs> absolutely and i'm just going to do a really smooth segue now because essentially that is what your book fearless fairy tales is all about and we're going to talk about it a little bit more but before we do i would really like our listeners who haven't already seen the book to get a taste of it so would you mind reading a little bit of it for us I just pause the recording for a bit while you grab a copy of the book and, and find the page and then we will come back and hear some fearless fairy tales. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom with our fabulous guest for this episode, Connie Huck. Connie, you're going to read to us now from the start of one of the stories in Fearless Fairy Tales, Little Red Riding Hood. 
Now, I normally ask our guests to explain a little bit about where we are in the story before they read. But do you know what? In this case, I think it's probably best if you leap straight in because there's some stuff that our listeners are going to find familiar and some stuff which might surprise them. Little Red Riding in the Hood. Little Red Riding was an up-and-coming fashion designer, well-known in her neighbourhood. Locals loved wearing her outfits, and when she first launched her signature Little Red Riding hoodies, they sold out instantly. The hoodies, inspired by a hooded cloak that her grandmother had made for her, came in a variety of different colours, but were especially popular in red. Red lived on the rough estate with her mum and dad. Mr. and Mrs. Riding. People often referred to the estate as the hood because calling it the rough estate made it sound like an undesirable place to live when in fact it had been named after Ernest Ruff, the world famous architect who had designed it. Red loved the estate. It was lively and crammed full of characters from all different walks of life. Granny Riding had lived there ever since it was built in the 1960s. She had even met Ernest Ruff once. Although she loved seeing her friends and neighbours wearing her designs, Red wanted the whole world to wear her clothes. A tricky feat for a little girl from the hood, her granny would say, but if anyone can do it, you can. Red knew that to really hit the big time, she would need to design something extra eye-catching for her spring-summer catwalk collection at the forthcoming Fairy Tale Fashion Week. Something with the wow factor. Unfortunately, she was all out of ideas. And for the last few days, she had been driving herself crazy trying to figure out what to make. A wolf wool waistcoat? Chainmail undies? Glass pyjamas with matching slippers? To make matters worse, Red also had her granny to worry about. Granny Riding had put her back out after a rather nasty weightlifting injury and was unable to get out of bed. Red decided to bring over some home-baked gingerbread men to cheer her up. Red loved visiting Granny who was by far the most fascinating person she knew. She often recounted tales from the olden days about men she had kissed who turned out to be frogs and other men she had kissed who turned out to be toads. But Red especially loved hearing about how fashion was back then. The shift dresses in the 60s, caftans in the 70s, shoulder pads in the 80s, combat trousers in the 90s and a whole host of other inspirational designs in between and beyond. Granny Riding had the most stylish wardrobe of vintage clothes Red had ever seen. Yet another inspiration for Red's rad designs. Be careful when walking through the hood, Mrs Riding called out as Red was putting her cloak on. I don't want you getting caught up in any trouble. Don't worry about me, Mum, Red replied. I can take care of myself. As she made her way across the rough estate, Red spotted a stylish girl in a vintage tea dress and super cool cowboy boots topped off with one of Red's trademark hoodies. Red smiled to herself, another happy customer. But as she got closer, Red realised that a bully was throwing sticks and stones at the girl. Hey, shouted Red, stop that right now or you'll break her bones. The bully ran off before Red could give them a proper piece of her mind. Red approached the girl, who was clearly shaken up. And as she got closer, she realised it wasn't a girl at all. It was a boy. Hey, I love your outfit, said Red. Thanks, said the boy, instantly starstruck at the sight of Little Red Riding. I'm Wolf. 
Oh, don't, don't want you to stop, but we haven't got time to read the whole story. But everyone, go and read the rest of the story because it just gets better and better. I love everything, everything about this. And I, I think Little Red Riding Hood, I reckon, is one of the most retold and reimagined fairy tales that that there is. And yet somehow you found a completely new twist to it how how did you come up with that you know what it's funny but all the stories almost wrote themselves they lent themselves to what they were about so little red riding hood if you think about it the standout things are that she's always in this red cloak and she cares very much for her granny who she looks after and granny lives in the woods essentially so I wanted to, a lot of fairy tales are set in sort of a countryside environment. And because these are fairy tales from the 21st century, I've tried to sort of mix up where they're set a bit. And so instead of Little Red having to sort of cross the woods to get to her granny, she has to cross the estate that she lives on. You know, the idea of bringing a wolf into it, I thought, well, let's change things up. And like I say, I, I'm trying to throw the unexpected in. And I wanted to bring this sort of element in of the cloaks because it's so sort of a visual think of Little Red Riding Hood. If you see a red hooded cloak, you know, that's going to be your number one thought. So it's sort of taking elements always of the original story and then, you know, mixing them up a bit to sort of modernise them. So Red's very caring and she looks after her elderly granny. You know, that was quite important because a lot of the traditional messages in fairy tales are brilliant ones and they're really good. It's just that they, they were written a very, very long time ago. And, you know, there are some versions of Little Red Riding Hood, you know, early versions Red actually slays the wolf. So she's an empowered girl that comes good. But then in some later versions, the wolf ends up eating Little Red Riding Hood, you know. So stories do change over time as they're retold. And, you know, some of these tales, they date well back. You know, the story of Rumpelstiltskin, for instance, is over 4,000 years old. The original story. I mean, that's really old. I'm really glad you mentioned Rumpelstiltskin because I think we need to talk a little bit about your reimagining of Rumpelstiltskin, which is called Trumpelstiltskin. Yes. He, he appears to be quite small, quite quite orange. Yes. And quite greedy. Tell me a little bit about Trumpelstiltskin and, and where on earth you got your inspiration from. So Rumpelstiltskin originally, the original tale, is about a funny little angry man character. <laughs> and so in the reimagining, the name just lent itself to Trumpelstiltskin. In the book, the character is once again a sort of funny little crazy orange man. He's very greedy and into gold. So in the original story, um, Rumpelstiltskin very much wants straw spun into gold for him. So this Rumpelstiltskin, he's very angry, like in the same way that babies have tantrums. And so he's always throwing tantrums and he wants more money and he wants more gold and he wants it now. He lives in a country called the United States of Craziness, or USK for short. And so his diet, as with other people that live there, is a diet of lots of junk food full of additives and fizzy drinks, which is why he's bright orange, as is his hairpiece. And actually, he's got quite a passing resemblance, actually, to a world leader 
called Donald Trump, which is quite coincidental, I think. Um, I, yeah, I, I didn't even notice, actually, and, until you pointed that out. <laughs> because this one's called Trump or Stillskin just because he farts a lot or trumps a lot. He's tr- trumping the whole time because of um, his uh, bad diet. So, you know, this is a story all about greed. Greed doesn't pay. And like I said, that is one of my ethoses. So Trump will still scheme. He works his way to the top of the family business. And, um, you know, he lives in this gold tower called Trumple Tower. But it's not enough because when people are greedy, all they want is more and more. So he wants all the gold in the kingdom. So he makes all the people give up their gold. But it's still not enough. So he needs um, the old king's daughter to spin spin straw into gold so that he can um, cover his whole kingdom and his whole castle in gold, essentially. It's a, just a fantastic reimagining. It's very funny. It is very funny. It's a funny book and it's a warm book and it's a loving book. Something that is especially great about this book is the way it, it's crammed full of characters and situations that readers wherever they are, they'll recognise them from from their own lives. And they're often the kind of characters and situations that don't always get represented in books. So you've got Cinderella. She's a wheelchair user, although we don't actually realise that at first. It's in the illustrations and then there's a passing reference to it later on. (laughs) Multi socks and the three bears. When the, the bear family come along, you have mummy bear and other mummy bear and baby bear. <laughs> and then you've got girls playing football. You've got boys wearing dresses. There's this glorious mix of size and shape and skin color. And it's just, it's humanity as it is. And it's so natural and easy and fun. And it just makes me wonder why aren't all books like that? Honestly, it's it's just glorious. Well, variety is the spice of life, I always say. And actually, it's quite well depicted in one of the stories, The Gingerbread Kid. Yeah. Where the gingerbread kid is essentially, well, his people are being persecuted. They're being eaten in fairy tale land, the gingerbread people. And so him and his family decide to flee away from fairy tale land. So they come across the sea in a boat to the UK, where he goes to school and ends up getting bullied and teased by the other kids until they realize actually he's the most interesting child in the school because he has stories of cats in boots and you know giants that live up beanstalks and so on and so forth and and that's the thing variety is a brilliant thing and we should embrace it you know how boring would it be if you I don't know walked down the high street and all you could get was only fish and chips you couldn't get pizza and you couldn't get an Indian takeaway and you couldn't get Mexican food or you know it's lovely to be able to have variety and choice and Everybody brings that with them into the equation because we're all from different backgrounds, different cultures, different upbringings. And that's what makes life interesting. And that's what makes life fun. And I think it's kind of depicted quite well in that story. But you're absolutely right. The books are just full of sort of all these different characters. And I think it's really important for children so all you guys listening, to realise that the more sort of varied and diverse a society is, the more fun it is. And actually, every new person can bring a new take on a problem or a situation and can add something new into the mix, which means that, you know, the world and society can only improve and get better and better because we're all different. So we all bring something new to the equation. 
Absolutely. And we're going to do it one book at a time, Connie. <laughs> <laughs> um, Connie, we are getting close towards the end of our time together, which is just ridiculous to me because I think we've only been talking for about 30 seconds. I do just want to remind all the parents and teachers listening that we produce a special free resources pack to go with every episode of Author in Your Classroom. So children can take what they hear and they can feed it into their own writing and their own stories. You can find the packs at plazoon.com and details are in the episode notes. Connie, I've just got a couple more things I'd like to ask you before we have to wrap up. So I'm just going to pause the recording for a moment so you can wiggle in your chair if you need to. And then we'll be back for some last words of wisdom. Welcome back to Author in Your Classroom from Plazoom with this episode's very special guest, Connie Huck. Connie, going back to your first book, are you able to, to reassure all the fans who are listening, because there will be fans who are listening of Cookie, are there more Cookie adventures on the way? Yes. So Cookie Book Two, which is only out in hardback currently, comes out in the paperback the beginning of 2021. And um, it's all about climate change and saving the environment. And Cookie's classmate, Susie Ashby, doesn't quite get the concept of climate change. She doesn't quite twig about, you know, single-use plastic and so on and so forth. So that is a lot of fun. And then I'm currently writing book three, which will be all to do with coding and hacking and problem solving and puzzles oh they both sound great any any other exciting plans we should know about um any other exciting plans we are thinking but it's just the thought about doing sort of sort of more I don't want to say educational because that makes it sound off-putting but sort of cookie books themed around sort of subject topics that you might study in class oh that sounds good Cookie in the classroom. Yeah, cookie school projects potentially. That that sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 can endorse that. I think as as, as a podcast, you, know, you you have our blessing. <laughs> We're nearly ready to wrap up, but before we go, I just I did just want to ask you, Connie. You talked earlier on about how when you were younger, you thought that maybe books weren't for you and reading wasn't your thing. And I know there'll be children sitting in the classroom right now listening to this, thinking that exact same thing. They'll be thinking books books aren't my thing. Writing isn't my thing mm, yeah I'm not saying that everyone needs to grow up to be a published author but to have a life with books in it is so joyful what what advice would you give those kids well you know everybody has got hobbies and interests and likes and the thing about books is you can get a book about skateboarding you can get a book about ballet you can get a book on literally any topic you want. There's so many books out there. And there are 10,000 children's books published every year. If you think reading isn't for you, what it is, is you just haven't found the right book for you. Because I do not believe that in the thousands of books out there, there isn't one that you'd love and be turning the pages. And the minute you get onto these books that you love, the easier reading gets. It just becomes something that's second nature. The way chatting is second nature. You'd never say, oh, chatting isn't for me. I'm, I'm not the sort of person that likes to have conversations. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't. 
chatting is for everyone and that's the same as reading and the more you do it the more it's just innate like having a conversation and you know there are so many books the funny books serious books just find your gateway so it, for instance in the cookie books I've done lots of funny comic strip pictures because often pictures will draw people in and I've put lots of humor there has been you know often there is a snobbery towards um, funny books in children's book world by these sort of people that are very serious and proper and even the Department for Education, you know, but actually humour is so important. And if humour is your gateway and it draws you into to reading, then that's a good thing. And we want all you kids out there to have a good sense of humour as adults, because I'm telling you now, you will need it. Maybe it's a Pokemon index catalogue that you like reading, whatever it is that you like reading, it doesn't matter. Read whatever you want. Don't have your teacher or your or your parent put you off reading what it is you want. Because the more you read, the more you'll love reading. It will become second nature. And then that means you'll be an adult that reads. And trust me, as an adult that reads, you know, it's such a brilliant compliment to a lifestyle because it helps you escape from, I don't know, the humdrum of adult life, you know, it can take you might have had a, a long day at work or you might have had to hoover the whole house because your children had put crumbs all over the place and reading is a really good way to do mindfulness or downtime or whatever it is that's crammed in in the book without you having to go to a gym or a yoga class or go anywhere you do it wherever you want on your favorite chair on the toilet in your bed wherever you know there aren't that many things that you can do hobby wise just from wherever you want reading is unique and special because it's your call you know I could be doing it right now down here you know <laughs> it's just honestly it's and you don't need much to do it it's not like other things you know you don't have to invest in I don't know a tennis racket or equipment you know so get into it is what I say because if you don't you could regret it when you're a grown-up and we don't want you to do that I could not agree more Connie thank you so much for joining us for this episode it's been a blast and seriously I want to give copies of Fearless Fairy Tales to all my friends with children <laughs> and thank you too to all our listeners thanks for being here we will be back very soon with another exciting guest to be the author in your classroom and until then everyone take care we'll see you soon bye author in your classroom is brought to you by plazoom where we are passionate about making great literacy lessons easy with inspiring, ready-to-go resources created by teachers to cover the whole of the primary curriculum. So, whether you're a teacher desperate for SATS revision that pupils will actually enjoy, a parent just as baffled by fronted adverbials as your child, or anyone looking for fun ways to keep children reading and writing during the summer holidays, we've got hundreds of brilliant ideas to explore. Take a look for yourself at plazoom.com where you can sign up to our newsletter and be the first to find out about our special offers and the new resources that are added to the site every single week. Every episode of Author in Your Classroom is packed with writing advice and inspiration from some of the world's best-loved children's writers. Plus, there are free activities and worksheets based on each author's work to spark children's imagination on plazoom.com. Just check the episode notes for links and more. You can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. We want to reach as many pupils in as many classrooms as possible. So please do give us a rating or a review, but above all, tell your colleagues about us and help spread the word. We know that a love of reading opens doors, not just to success at school and beyond, but to a lifetime of excitement, adventure and discovery. 
Let us help you make it happen with author in your classroom and Plazoom.